Good morning. Welcome to episode two of Can We Talk? Uh, my name's Nick. I'm here with the co-founders of Alias Can. Uh, I'm coming to you from Wilmington, Delaware. Mike Patterson, you're down in Dewey Beach. Can you tell us, it, Dewey Beach, home yes, of sir. Dewey Beer Co., by the way. Thank you for supplying amazing beer. Mike, how are things in Dewey today? Dewey is very nice today. It's sunny and about 85, a little humid, but it's, it's a nice day outside. Outstanding. And we're also joined with, uh, by Francesca. Francesca, you're at our home base there in Newark, Delaware. How are you this morning? Good. I'm good. <laughs> great. I Thanks. Good thing. All right. All right. Well, we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. the, um, and uh, of course, we got the guy who's always holding things down. And I always uh, want to start with a nod to the great Frankie Fifth Year. Frank's in the Great Garden State of New Jersey. Um, and I'm coming to you from the village of Trolley Square here in the 40 acres section of Wilmington. My God, I can't forget that or else we get some complaints. Um, I wanted to share this with you guys because uh, earlier this morning I had to go and uh, I went, we have a very small grocery store in Trolley Square, a tiny little Acme. And when you walk into your Acme, masked up, uh, by the way, you pass on your right what has now become a massive display of Halloween candy. And I always use the old wow. joke about it's, oh, it's already up, you know, in August. Uh, but it got me thinking, how the hell is that going to work? And with all these things that are changing, the second episode of this talk is, is called Back to What? What exactly are we going back to? This is a, a season that we typically associate with a return to so many things. And um, of course, our cultural touchstones like a Halloween, uh, like a back to school, they're not gone. Uh, but it, it does seem that they've been suspended temporarily. And uh, I, I wanted to begin by talking about that with you, with you both, because um, September hits the calendar. Uh, could you take me, I, I come from the world of education for years and years, so I, I brought a, a, a teacher's perspective uh, to back to school. But how does the month of September and starting the fourth business quarter, could you take us behind the curtain a little bit, Mike, and, and tell me uh, what life is like for a small business starting right now in the last quarter of the year? Yeah, sure. It's, um, you know, it's kind of funny because this year certainly will be different. And typically September for me, for the first, you know, however many years I've been managing and running business, is kind of marked by back to school and what that means for the employees that I have. Um, we have a lot of people who have small kids or kids that are in, you know, in school. So, you know, typically we're getting back into the office. People are settling back in. There's a people a lot of times are scattered in July and August because a lot of vacations going on. And so September is kind of like when everybody's back in the office. Um, it's almost like a reunion in some ways where people are kind of reacquainting themselves with people they haven't seen very much. They're kind of reestablishing routine of, of getting their kids back to school instead of sleeping half the morning and all that kind of stuff. So for me, I always kind of gave everybody like a grace period of like five or 10 days to kind of get back into the routine, get their hellos out of the way and all that stuff. But then like I, it's, it's a matter of putting the, the, the foot on the gas. Um, you know, to me, September 15th to like December 1st is what makes or breaks a year because it's like those last couple months that really close things out for this year and set the tempo and set the set the pace for the next year. So I really push hard to kind of reestablish the goals, make sure expectations are clear and really try to put my uh, you know best foot forward of, of managing through that last 
10 weeks of the year because really once December 1st hits, it, it's like, to me, it's time to start slowing it down and, and wrapping things up so that way when uh, everybody leaves for, for holiday break, everybody feels good about what the year has, has done, what they've accomplished and what we've accomplished as a company. And also you feel good about and excited about what's to come in the following year. So that's kind of my mindset coming into into September. Um, and, and, and honestly, it doesn't change that much with COVID. It's the same. I have the same mindset. Uh, it's just how we execute is going to be a little different. It's, it's interesting that you, you use a verb like execute there, too, because what you just talked about is very much a coaching point of, of how are we going to, you know, we, it's not an overused analogy. I mean, fourth quarter business, fourth quarter of a game. Um, it's really pushing through in that final key period. And you talked about those 10 weeks until December 1st, which is a great point because once December 1st hits, it looks like the calendar just starts to eat itself. And all of a sudden you're at the 23rd and what the hell happened? So pushing through those 10 weeks is really important. Francesca, what's a typical September like for you? Cause this is an atypical, this is not an atypical year. Yeah. It's um, a lot like what Mike said, you know, about it's, coming back and coming together, but also seeing that your finish line is now in sight. And so it's nose to the grindstone time. It's really, you know, because you can see that end and because you know that fourth quarter is going to be your last chance this year to make up whatever revenue you want to do, complete any goals that you wanted to complete, it's important to make that time count more than ever. So I think a typical September is a lot of, a lot of work, um, a lot of reconnecting, a lot of finishing things, and also it's usually September, October is when we start getting into trade show season, which we're not going to have really this year, So, or we're going to have very differently in a virtual world. So um, the travel is definitely peak in the fall and the fourth quarter, and this year that's definitely not going to happen. So yeah. we're all more homebound, and um, that doesn't mean that we – slow down. I think that's going to be probably one of the biggest adjustments is like, we aren't going to have the coming together really, because we're staying out of the office and we're still having to finish strong, still having to push through and still want to make sure that we make this a big win at the, you know, at the finish line. Absolutely. All my mixed sports metaphors, you know. There you go. <laughs> bring, 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 them, uh, bring them all to the table. We'll mix them all up. Pick I want to flag, flag down, down the, the court. court. <laughs> <laughs> Wanted, Before the final curtain. I, uh, <laughs> I wanted to ask uh, this because you both touched on this where it's kind of like a, a regular September. The, 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 the pattern starts to reassert itself and people are back in their desks and your, your vacations are over. Um, for uh, people with families, Mike, does, does September, does the burden ease up a bit? for working parents or is this now prime time so to speak because when you think a return to, to uh activities a return of academics the academic calendar uh a return to certain expectations um does that does does the return of a school year kind of help a little bit or is it like oh man we got to turn things up i think in years past it helps because you know the kids are kind of out of your hair um no pun intended. I see you laughing, Francesca. Um, <laughs> but they're kind of, you know, they're back in school. So they're, they're occupied for, you know, 
most of the day and then homework or whatever it's going to be or sports. And so a lot of times it's, I feel like the burden kind of eases when summer ends this year, it's kind of going the other way though. I mean, I think, uh, for a lot of families, their, their school age children are going to be at home doing virtual learning, which puts a tremendous amount of pressure and stress and, uh, um, on parents and on the whole family unit. So I think this year, especially, um, it's going to be a big factor. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's been a, a lot of the uh, the mystique of work from home has been so <laughs> it's it's good's lifted it's gone because um, we're coming back to like you know what what are things that we can come back to what are what are things that simply aren't returning Francesca that we just have to deal with. What do you mean, like in business or in life or personal or uh, one of each? Because I mean, I think one affects the other. Yeah, that's true. I think. Um, you know, in terms of the personal, what I think is something that I would notice is absent is like physical touch among people. So like not even the handshakes, but like the welcome back hugs and imagining what mm. that's like in a less physical, touchy yeah. world is kind of sad. And because, you know, it's nice to have a nice hug from somebody when you don't expect it or that's the person you need that from. So that's kind of sad. And I wonder often how that's going to play into interpersonal relationships and affect things like you know everything from friendships to parent-child relationships to romantic and you know things like that but um god what else what was the well, question it's well you know I, you brought up you went right where i i was hoping to go because um at the time where this is coming out we're we're coming up on it's going to be 200 days soon since the team's been together at work and that uh, we are very very tight tight tightly knit unit. And uh, it, it's just, it's, it's, it's a lot to adapt to. And it's really hard to look into the future and say, it's okay, we'll, we'll get together here or there. So yeah, the um, finish line keeps moving of like, hey, well, you know what, we'll probably be able to do that in the fall. We'll probably and now it's like, we might be able to do that in the winter, but nobody's even telling themselves that anymore, because we know that's flu season. And so we're all thinking about a second wave or it's just unlikely because we haven't seen it manifest yet in our area. And I think it's really hard because in other areas, people aren't giving up the same stuff or even different people aren't giving up the same things in, in the same areas. So one of my biggest challenges, I think, is even answering the question because there's not a lot of universal experience in the details of COVID. So I find that difficult because you can be envious of what somebody's doing, but also not want to do it because it feels risky. It's just, it's hard to say what, nobody seems to be on the same page and it's like, you just have to tread lightly. Yeah, well, you can always, you know, the, the tough thing is we have, no, we have no experience to kind of light the path for us here. This is uncharted territory. There's no playbook on how to get through a challenge like this and adjustments are made. Uh, and in business, adjusts, uh, adjustments are made to cater uh, to the habits of the modern consumer. Um, and I wanted to, to uh, think about that. Uh, Mike, um, I wanna start with you. Have you seen any evidence um, of the American consumer changing? It could be a minor way, it could be a major way, but in terms of who gets their money right now and, and where that money goes. You know, I think I, I am seeing some changes, uh, and I think really what 
and what I read and when I'm talking to other people, a lot of what I'm seeing and, and kind of understanding at this point is that consumer preference is really driven by confidence and the confidence in the products they're buying and, and the experience that they have where they buy those products. So I think what I've seen a lot of so far is is the brands that are that are doing well, both in terms of say flower sales and in and, and, you know cannabis products, as well as the brands of the stores and dispensaries that people are frequenting, are the ones that have really done a good job of creating a consistent experience, whether it's the product experience or the buying experience. Francesca, same question. Yeah, I think there's a big difference. Um, and what Mike said really really factors in. And I think I would add confidence and clarity. So the idea that, um, you know, Mike, you said like confidence in where they're buying as well as what they're buying in it and like the value that it brings. So while we see people, you know, spending certain amounts um, in dispensaries or as growers still investing in their businesses, um, so that's because they have consumer demand now that maybe they didn't have before COVID or maybe they need to keep feeding um, since COVID. I think it also has to do with the dispensaries and the experiences they create for their patients and their consumers when they walk in. Do they feel safe? Do they feel like they've taken the, the right precautions? Are they making it easy to have those precautions in place and comfortable as comfortable as it can be? As well as the things that they're selling have changed because you look at how when we first when COVID first happened and everyone's like it goes after the lungs it's a respiratory illness it's a virus in the respiratory system and now we're finding out that it's more vascular well that changed people were like well maybe i shouldn't be smoking maybe i shouldn't be buying flour maybe i need to be going into edibles or maybe i need to be doing oils or something along those lines so i do think that um confidence and value and clarity all factor into a consumer experience if you can be those things or offer those things to consumers, you're going to have more loyal ones. So I think people find places that they like and they will repeat their, they're more likely to repeat their business there because we want to limit our world a little bit as consumers. We don't wanna walk into every store. We don't wanna to talk to everybody. We wanna keep it tight and safe. And so you have an opportunity to really corner some customer loyalty here. Is there, yeah. is there a pattern that's not changing? That, that, that's good or, or maybe worrisome? Or are people still, uh, and let's, let's take this in a different realm because you both went uh, right to cannabis companies doing the right thing, but even in your own experience, your neighbors, the people on your street that you do encounter, um, have, you, have you seen a, a more uh, concerted effort to not click and order something off Prime and maybe waiting until the weekend so that you can go to Fairfax Hardware and keep the lights on, so to speak? I think that, that that is one kind of learning curve that, that I'm seeing in other areas is there is kind of a concentrated effort, which is amazing, to help those small businesses. I think, you know, it's kind of a contradiction in a way. Like it's, it's a contradictory consumer because I do think you have people that are like, I'm going to support um, black or minority owned businesses more. I'm, I'm now aware of this systemic racism and I'm going to do my part as a consumer and vote with my dollars and change that. Or, but you also have people being like, I'm not leaving my house, so I'm going to find things the quickest and easiest way to find them, which is the monster that is Amazon Prime. And so you have probably a ton of business going there as well. 
It's a matter of how much effort a consumer wants to put into their buying consciousness in a way and saying like, okay, I, it's the urgent need versus like the ethical kind of dilemma around that if they even have one. If they yeah. And I, and I think there is that dichotomy, Francesca. I mean, it, and it's, I, cause, and I think it kind of ebbs and flows too, depending on what's happening. And, you know, I know at first it was like, we had a big push of like, let's support local business. Let's go out often and this and that and the other thing. And, and we still do, but I feel like that's, we've kind of backed off from that to some degree. Um, you know, just as kind of life goes on, some things you kind of get, uh, not callous, but then, you know, it, it, it kind of happens where you just kind of like shift focus and we've been eating in a lot more for, you know, I don't know why it's just kind of how the, the nature of the beast. And so, um, I think there is that, you know, things are changing, but they, it's a constant change based on what people's comfort level is and, and where they are in that particular day and their range of emotions as it deals with the whole, you know, being quarantined and being around the same group of people for the, you know, 200 days. I mean, it's tough. It certainly yeah. is. And the news, and the news, like whatever's in the headlines, may drive consumer behavior more probably than we've seen in our lifetime. Possibly, it's like we're not a generation that's swayed by obvious advertising because advertising isn't new, marketing isn't new to us. We know when we're being marketed to, so now we're being uh, marketed and sold to on a more ethical or moral or social kind of line in a lot of ways of support small businesses, support minority owned businesses, support causes that um, support the environment that give back or things like that. But the sustainability of that is a concern because like Mike said, like it does, it waxes and wanes. So you have this, you can't, you kind of get desensitized to it of like, I'm doing it, but all I get in return yeah. is, the repeat demand to continue to do it and you feel like well if i can't change anything then i might as well get my bike lock in two days then you know <laughs> whenever i make it to that local bike store so it, it is hard it is really hard to be a good consumer and to be a store that sells completely on being on wanting good consumerism well, and, and it, it's something where it is a bit of a, a trick question because I asked you about it. You know, I asked you both about it. We're we're at whatever point we're in in this mess. Um, one of the things I keep thinking about is um, we don't. You know, it would be a tragedy on top of a bona fide tragedy if this thing happens, and if and and I should say when we do get out of it, we didn't learn anything. So it would be yeah. interesting at the end of this to learn a little bit more about, well, how are people spending money at this time? And when they knew that their dollars going here could affect their neighbor or it could affect somebody two streets over or the, or the store that you're used to getting, you know, product X from, I don't know why I made it product X. That makes it sound dirty. Uh, but um, you know, it's, it's, I think there will, there will be a better focus on where we're, uh, what we're supporting and how we're supporting it. Um, and I want to talk about that because I think in the past there was a challenge to see how everything was kind of interconnected um, business-wise. Uh, it's a challenge for any industry to go through this pandemic period. Um, but let's, let's just, we'll start with this because it's in the news. Um, professional sports, collegiate sports. I think about, you know, why, you know, it's, it's something that we all, it, it's a weekend thing. We love it. And I think about when you, you take that one element out of a town, a city, and how that affects everything. You know, University of Delaware football, 
you look at what that does for businesses on Saturdays in the fall in Newark, Delaware, where Francesca is sitting right now. Now you take that away, all of a sudden you're taking hotel business away, you're taking restaurant business away, you're taking pub business away. It is a massive, massive blow to our little local economy. Um, that's going to change their business plan for God knows how long. Part of this theme today talks about how, you know, our concept of normal is being changed. But one thing that remains constant is winter, spring, summer, and fall don't cater to trends for the most part. Um, and harvest season is still harvest season. When you look at the cannabis landscape right now, do you think there's more certainty for growers in, in a way right now than there was uh, let's say six months ago before all this broke? I think, you know, at least from my perspective, I think that the increase in demand has uh, been a welcome boost for the, for the average grower and it hit them at a time when sales are usually not quite as strong as others, you know, in the spring of the year. Uh, and so I think that that was a, a welcome, you know, boost for, for their business. I think that as more states legalize and all the other things that are going to be hopefully happening this fall, that should hopefully continue to boost that through. And I really do think that a lot of the growers that we work with have really seen this as something that may allow their business to be more sustainable and, and more uh, profitable moving forward as they continue to be able to increase sales, which then can reinvest back into their operations and hopefully have uh, more consistent, you know, employee um, employees that are there working as well as process and, and, and product that they're putting out into the market. I think I, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think it's an interesting, again, duality there because you have definitely more certainty for growers in one aspect in that there is a demand, their product is essential. The demand definitely rose during COVID. You have more people, more patients, more, you know, recreational or adult use consumers. So there, I think there is more certainty in the idea of cannabis for everyone as on like a macro level, but on a micro level, you're also talking about what you said, Nick, about interconnectedness is like, if we're taking away tourism or drastically slashing tourism, we're going to drastically reduce people that are going to be in dispensaries in a lot of those specific states like Colorado and California that are destinations for that. And now that changes probably what people are going to be buying as dispensaries, which affects the growers ultimately in their bottom line. So it's a yes and no answer, which I feel like is the world we live yeah. in now. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's a great point because, you know, if you think about a lot of those like, um, really high-end dispensaries in, in Las Vegas. They've got to be significantly down in terms of tourism. And so think about if you're the key supplier to those dispensaries, your demand is, is certainly impacted. So that's, that's a great point. I know that our sales team has also encountered uh, decreased demand in, in, in retail places that are in uh, college towns. Mm -hmm. And so if colleges aren't going to reopen in the fall, that 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 lag that usually happens over the summer is now going to get extended into basically January. So, and that trickle down effect is like, well, that grower who maybe anticipated a X amount of pounds going into that region has got to find a new home for that material. So it's, it, yeah, that's a great point, Francesca, around, you know, the, 
the yin and the yang of, of confidence and consistency that these growers are going to experience. Okay, yeah. And, and like, go ahead. Medical. And, and then like, you have to look at adult use and medical use as different markets as well. Because if you're, you know, in Maryland with a medical only state, then maybe you don't see that because you're not relying on that tourist um, business of the adult use market. Mm -hmm. Mike touched upon something that's really, really interesting because we were talking about all things being relative and in interconnectedness. Mike, you said that uh, sales people uh, will call upon some dispensaries that are in college towns. And that, that's kind of what I'm, I'm looking at. And I, I've been on the phone. Dispensary people are great. They're usually, you know, unless they're being slammed and it's a, it's a drop for a certain bunch of uh, flour that people really, really want. Most people at a dispensary will uh, answer your questions, tell you a little bit about the culture of their store and their clientele. And I, I, I called upon a place in Washington state where the guy was super sweet and said, but look, I don't sell from May till mid August. You know, you're welcome to call me back wow. then, but it's, they know that market. They know that, that they can predict those things. This is, we're talking about unpredictability and um, mm -hmm. we don't know when we're going to return. So to that point, do, do you think um, we'll start with you, Francesca, do you think growers, are better prepared for stuff like this, like a crisis? I, I think growers have been through more crises as business owners than a lot of other people in mature industry because they are, their entire business model is built on an unpredictable product in an unpredictable, unstable, because it's still federally illegal market. So if we're talking about experience with handling crises, yes, I think growers are more prepared. If we're talking about preparedness and experience in this specific crisis, probably not, uh, because I don't think we've <laughs> ever lived through this before. But, you know, they are probably more familiar with things like, crap, I've got all this weight to, you know, left over and I've got to move it or lose it. That's, that's not new for them. That's something that I think a lot of them have experienced before. Yeah, I think, you know, I think the way I would describe it is I feel like a lot of the growers that we work with and that we've met are very mentally strong and just resilient as hell as far as dealing with different things that are going to happen, whether it's an early frost and now they've got to go, you know, rent a bunch of heaters and things like that, or whether it's a banking issue or whether it's a change in the, what they have to do for their security or an employee leaves or all, who knows? It's like a magic eight ball of shit that can rain down on on these on these growers and they they're resilient as hell and you know and i just really admire how they'll deal with it move on deal with it move on and they just are it's really admirable how they handle it they don't cry about it they move on and i love that yeah and it's like you almost have to learn you have to know how to be a cultivator and then you have to have a minor degree in chaos theory because you know the butterfly, <laughs> the butterfly flaps its wings, and you don't have the amount of flour that you thought you were going to have before. So I, I think or test really low or something like that, or you know, they never yeah. know. Which you know, life finds a way. You you can't control those things, but they do. Uh, especially the ones that we've been lucky enough to work with and come in contact with. There is something really um, admirable, and and I I think maybe it's optimistic. We can take some hope in this where. You know, there was an early frost last last year, last fall, um, 
uh, in the Pacific Northwest. Destroyed, destroyed harvest for small farmers. I'm, I'm talking the little tier one guys. And it's, it's not crying like you said, there's not a woe is me kind of lamentation. It's, we just gotta keep going. We're gonna go with the flower we can save because that's what you do. And that kind of, that kind of pragmatic view on things is something that maybe we can you know, take a little bit, maybe we can take our cue from uh, growers because I look at last time that we had a massive, massive, massive national declaration of emergency for growers the Dust Bowl in, in Oklahoma and in the Plain States there, where the ecosystem was destroyed, but grower, they, they let us out of a great, they helped lead us out of a depression. Um, and maybe they'll do it again. Um, it, it's been pretty incredible That's to see how, how cannabis <laughs> growers are, are working. Um, I think it's, um, it's got to be also somewhat tied to the fact that they are practiced in the cyclical nature of business, that, that because they have harvest cycles, that they have to go through that they have to weather it's like there's always going to be the next harvest ahead of them as long as they can stay in business enough for the next harvest maybe that's part of it is that carrot is always dangling out there for them so devastation is is temporary as is success there's a, quote. a great point there's a quote yeah, yeah. <laughs> go ahead no, that's exactly right. I, you know, I hadn't really thought about that from that point of view. And it's, you know, I'm sitting down here in Dewey Beach. It's like these kids that are out riding waves on their surfboards. You know, there's always a next wave. There's always a next harvest. I mean, it's that mindset's really cool. Yeah, and it, it, it's it's healthy because I think I think one of the things where people have a, a lot of difficulty is um, looking forward. For so many of us, is 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 difficult. I mean, it's really hard to be like, well, when this is over, because um, we, yeah. we don't have that kind of uh, practice like, like a cultivator will, where we do know one cycle follows the other and we've got to get prepared. We can't feel sorry for ourselves. We got to keep going. There's not reason to feel sorry uh, in the can of business right now. If you're looking into facts and figures and statistics, because um, cannabis sales in general have increased during the pandemic. Uh, we got some uh, stats even in the past you know, uh, 24 hours, it looks like Illinois, the state of Illinois, uh, with their uh, fledgling cannabis uh, trade has had their biggest month in sales. And I even look at the uh, state of California yesterday, July, biggest month they've had. Uh, the last time they had a big spike was back in March at the beginning uh, of this whole thing. Right. Yeah. When we didn't know the cannabis dispensaries were going to be deemed essential businesses, everyone was rushing to these dispensaries. And California spent $332 million in the month of March, which is a short month. Um, but we've just got this stat in that $348 million. It's the biggest sales month California's had since legalization began in 2018 in that state. Wow. So it's oh. a really interesting stat. Um, a lot of people in this industry. Congrats. Yeah, yeah. seriously, California. Good job, Callie. Um, a lot of people in this business, though, were incredibly worried towards the end of July. And this is the part where, you know, politics do bleed into the cannabis world, uh, unfortunately. So not to get political here, but on the 31st of July, there was a, uh, well, it was kind of that, that $600 per week lifeline. Uh, that some people were getting. Maybe I should say week, W-E-A-K, um, per week. 
That was set to expire on July 31st. And everyone in the cannabis business from growers, processors, dispensary owners, dispensary teams, uh, were kind of looking at that and saying, damn, we want this to keep going. Um, that money is really important for certain people uh, in this business. I wanna ask you about this. Is that something that it was gonna go down from 600 to $400 a week? There are certain dispensary owners saying that could kill me. That could kill mm -hmm. me if my customers don't have that particular money. You've both worked with dispensaries. You've both worked with them through this. Um, how important do you think that that little bit of federal aid has been for people that need their medicine? It's huge. Um, I think, I think it's, it's important that that the government is providing aid to people that offers a sustainable kind of quality of life. And I don't think $600 does that, but to take it down to 400 is atrocious to me. Um, and I think it's important, not because it's like, oh, so I guess these people need their $600 to buy their weed. And <laughs> that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about cannabis as a medicine. We're talking about supporting businesses. We're talking about supporting an industry that pays an exorbitant amount of state taxes that funnels back into the state to you know, fund these other projects that help the entire state and the community at large. And so the trickle down effect is, or trickle up effect or whatever is, incredible and to slash it by two hundred dollars a week when you're t that's like what three eighths sometimes you know that's that's significant that's a lot so i think it's really um i think it's hurtful it's not designed to specifically hurt cannabis of course but we're talking about the effects of it on that industry and i don't i don't like it i think we should have been more we should have been at more than six hundred since the beginning though so yeah but see francesca i think the other the other side of that coin is that there's a lot of people who are employers that have people who are electing to stay out of work because they can make the same amount of money on unemployment as they did when they were actually working uh so i mean the the, the other aspect of that is how do you get people to back to work and becoming gainfully employed and contributing to the workforce and contributing to society when the government's going to subsidize potentially their sitting at home. So there's, you know, it's a fine line because I know a lot of business owners who have lost, you know, good employees because the $600 doesn't really um, motivate them to want to come in and participate in their workforce. So there are both sides of that equation, equation I think. Yeah, there. there's oh, always, always. But I think that there's something to be said there then um, that your people should be wanting to come to work because they not not that you should hmm, what am i trying to say here because i want to what i want to say is basically like there should be more incentive than just the the paycheck to come to work but if i'm honest what employment is is a contract of hours and services for money and where nobody's obligated to their employer as a family so I, I'm kind of arguing to myself in this, but yeah. it doesn't it, it, that mean that we're not paying people enough if they're, if they're no. doing just as much on unemployment. 
No, I, so Francesca, I think you know we're we're spoiled in that we have a really strong team and a really loyal team, right? And but we also put a lot of effort into creating things that deliver value that aren't necessarily in a paycheck, whether it's flexibility, whether it's you know non-monetary benefits, whether you know there are a number of different things you can do to create a culture where people are you know value their overall experience as as an employee with whatever business they're in. And so, yeah, is it a shame that some people don't have that because their employer is, you know, doesn't provide that same value and non-monetary things? Yeah, it's a shame. And it goes against what we're all about in terms of how we want to run our business. But it's that's the fact of the matter. That's the reality of it out there is a lot of employers don't provide those add-ons that make people want to be loyal and want to come into work, even if it's, you know, means that they're they're going to uh, you know make just a little bit more rather than sit home and play PlayStation or you know watch TV or do whatever they're doing. So, I mean, it's it's you know it's in some ways it's probably an indictment on bad employers as much as anything. Yeah, and and maybe those people are collecting unemployment while they are and not going back to their jobs because it was a dead end job to begin with and they wanted to get out but they never could because they were living paycheck to paycheck and now they can use this unemployment money to gainfully get employed somewhere else with a brighter future so i don't necessarily buy into the um story about everybody that's and i know you're not saying this but i think this is a narrative that that what you say it gets misconstrued as this story about people collecting unemployment are just all doing the same thing, which is nothing or not being con not contributing. And that's not what you're saying. And that's not true. And so I think we have to be careful when we're talking about what the um, unemployment like stipend is, it's like, we actually, there's not enough information out there to tell us what people are doing when they have that opportunity to get money and reflect or pursue other things. You know, I brought this up because you guys, it's lovely. You guys always, it's like, I always get gold when I'm panning for this stuff. You gave me more than I, than I hoped for there because I'm leading towards, I think this $600 thing that's a little, uh, I think it's such an interesting study because it goes, it's very much in line with, in my opinion, whether or not the culture's ever really going to normalize cannabis. And, and here's what I mean by that. Um, it, it's $600, but we start to shave off little bits of that. And if you shave off bits of it for your cannabis medicine, okay, that you need and you can't, it's not covered somewhere else. Um, that starts to become significant. That starts to shave away. Um, you look at the most popular and I think the most commonly prescribed drug on the market, I think it's Lipitor. Um, if I didn't have insurance, Lipitor could cost me 200 to $250 for a bottle of that stuff. So I'm wondering if, if, this is going to, in a way, help normalize cannabis once and for all, or, or whether that's just a pipe dream at this point, because uh, are we ever going to see, uh, we'll start with you, Mike, how long, maybe, I don't know how to start this, are we ever going to see someone equate, my God, this is a terrible day, I got to have my edible with, you know, mommy needs her glass of wine because, you know, everything's been shit today. I do. I, I really do think that that's going to happen. I just don't know when. And I think that, you know, it's, it's such a mind shift change for so many people. Um, I think it's almost generational in a lot of ways. I feel like, um, you know, that, the, you know, if I look at my kids, you know, and they're, 
you know, 18 and 20 are my, are my two oldest, um, it's much more commonplace amongst their age group where it's you know, much more acceptable and it's talked about and more open and they're more open about talking about it to us and other parents. And so I, I see it as, you know, that sort of shift um, as that as the, as the ages progress, it's just going to get more accepted. So I, I, I do. So I guess my long answer is, yeah, I do see it. I just don't know when it will be and 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 how it will take place geographically you know, based on the states and the regions and everything else, because that's going to be, I mean, California is light years ahead of um, New Jersey, you know, who hasn't even passed medical yet. And so, I mean, it's going to be regional, it's going to be state by state. And, but, you know, eventually I think it's going to wash through. It's just, it's going to take a long time, in my opinion. Francesca, what about you? Yeah, it, it'll, it'll get there. It, it's definitely going to get there, but I, do I think I'll see it in my lifetime? Not, likely the way that alcohol is accepted. Um, you're not going to see edible containers that says mommy just needs her candy or mommy's candy or something like that. Like we're not at the point where we can joke about that culturally yet. Um, and I think, or, or have it so out in the open, people are still looking for discreet ways to take their medicine or to have cannabis, or they don't talk about it, or they're seen as, um, you know, all the stigmas and stereotypes that follow around what a stoner is if you wear some sort of apparel that advertises that you're pro-cannabis. And so, but what we do have are relationships with people and that's where it all begins because I can change my parents' minds and, or I can find out that they are never actually that against it to begin with. They were taking a party line as I was growing up that yeah. was important for their time and the place and everything. But now I'm passing my parents edibles and that's fine. Like just as they would pass me a drink if when after I turned 21. So I do think it's there in those small circles and in the relationships we have, that's where we're going to build it. And then you start with communities um, and you start with groups. And then it reaches out and you create causes and then you normalize the use. But um, as long as it's going to be illegal, it'll be seen as illicit. And even when you do make it federally legal, that's not a light switch that you flip on. That's going yeah. to be something that takes time and you're always going to have naysayers. Just like you have people that naysay everything you know so yeah. i mean in the other factor too francesca to kind of build off what you're saying is that you know if you look at like alcohol how accepted it is like from you know growing up to you know to just hey i'm gonna have a beer i'm gonna unwind with a beer it's just like it's ingrained in like in the fabric of most adults you know what i mean so you just can't change that easily um, you know, it takes time and it takes uh, a long uh, campaign, so to speak, like you're talking about. Um, what I thought was interesting, and you said in your lifetime, you don't think it will be like that. So you're thinking like in the next 50 years, it will never get normalized. That's what you think? Not to the extent that alcohol is. I think it'll get normalized not to where alcohol is. I think it'll take longer. Wow. Than 50 years is a long ass time. Um, yeah. It, I it, know. Really, it really is. And I, I don't know. I, I, it's what one thing I, I do, I, I challenge because uh, I, I think every major historic event, if we're just being limited and talking at least to American culture, when you, when you have a major tragedy, I mean, it's a fact. Uh, after the First World War, Great Depression, Second World War, uh, the 1960s as a whole thing, 
we all, there's always a major cultural shift that follows that historic event. Uh, and maybe, maybe when we look at, that's why I started with the numbers and the sales figures, maybe when we look into how much people were spending on something like cannabis uh, during this particular time of, of COVID-19, maybe that does help normalize it in some way because you, you both know there's been a ton of money, a ton of money in the cannabis industry spent on the new normal. I mean, that was MedMen's whole campaign. Uh, what was it, a, a year ago? Where we were going to start the, the new normal. Um, here yeah, we are a year later. <laughs> it did <laughs> fail. They just got their license revoked uh, in, in Virginia's. Uh, Corporate Reed has no business talking about new normal and trying <laughs> to sell themselves as small, so screw that. And Wait, they, uh, <laughs> okay, but they, so do you think they were doing any... I think some good was done where yeah. MedMen puts money in, they get Spike Jones to direct the new normal feature. It's seen by millions and millions of people. So a, 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 an evil corporation can do some good things anyway with the public mindset. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and you know, and their motivation for normalizing it is for their own <laughs> monetary gain. Let's be honest about that. They're not trying to sure. help a cause, but the cause is potentially helped by that. So I completely agree with that. What yeah. I think is what you were saying about like, we always see the cultural shift after some sort of tragedy. Yeah, but look at how tied up with racism that cannabis is. And the fact is, is if we're going to have politically speaking as a nation say, we're normalizing this, it's still a big deal that a man is serving or just got out of jail or prison for a 30 year sentence for nonviolent possession and use of cannabis. And it's like, do you know how many of those stories are behind those bars? Oh. We would have to really kind of say, yeah, we were wrong about a lot of stuff. And so it's more complicated than just the plant. We're not just talking about the plant. We're talking about all the racist and political agendas that went behind the plant and making it illegal. And so that's the thing that I don't see us actually normalizing and facing and overcoming within 50 years because we haven't done it in 400 years you know unfortunately there's a lot that has to be undone uh that that's for sure but um and, and you're right by the way if you're if you're following us go to the last prisoner project go to their website yeah. follow them on instagram read the stories of the people that are still in jail for, for selling something that most people in our country don't have a problem with. Lastprisonerproject.org. Check their work out. They're great people. And they're, they're really trying to help us in this struggle for the new normal and to, uh, to redress the crimes of the past, I guess I should say. Um, but it's, it's um, unless anybody has a final thought on that particular thought uh, or point, um, I wanted to ask you both about something, maybe, maybe a little optimism. Uh, cannabis isn't going away. This, this, is, this crisis has taught us that. Um, Mike, where do you see potential uh, for growth in this industry? Is there a particular, uh, a, a particular part of the business or a particular market that excites you right now? You know, it's, that's a great question. It's something that we always try to like look out in time to see where things may go and where, th where the industry will evolve so that we can hopefully meet it there and, and bring value to where the industry is going to be in the future. And one of the things that I think can't help but grow is cannabis as it relates to health and wellness. As it relates to the whole COVID thing, people are going to approach their wellness and their, their um, 
just overall well-being, uh, protecting themselves through, you know, healthy medicine, through wholeness, through, you know, everything. I think the mindset of a lot of individuals is that, hey, maybe cannabis can help me with my immunity. Maybe it can. It's certainly going to help with anxiety and stress. And if you look at all these studies that are going on, I mean, I see some headlines that are really, you know, talk about, hey, maybe cannabis it helps with, you know, reduce your uh, potential to even get COVID or some of these other things. So as some more of these studies come out and there's more research that's that's legitimate clinical research published that shows some of the impact that cannabis will have on your wellness. I think that's going to be a, a big striking point for a lot of uh, genetics and, and a lot of producers to create and tailor products that are going to help individuals live better lives. Yeah. Yeah. And you look at the, the people that have uh, health and wellness has to be the bright spot. Uh, it's got to be one of the bright spots for this industry because we, we didn't even talk about, you know, pain management and what this is doing for yeah. people that, that work, work back breaking jobs for several years and in their sixties are struggling just to move. If we can help these people just a little bit, not only will that uh, mitigate their pain, it's also going to help us in the, in the struggle for the new normal. Right. Um, what about uh, you, Francesca? Is there an area? Is there a market? Is there something that excites you in the cannabis business right now as we're heading into the fourth quarter of 2020? Um, everything excites me about the potential of it. That's just really cool is that you don't know where this is going to go or grow. So you can, you can be as optimistic, you can be as pessimistic, but I just be as optimistic as possible with how it's going to be in the future. And I think what Mike said is dead on is that like, the areas of health and wellness and medicine um, are going to probably be the most, um, the, I guess the epicenter of the biggest growth. I can absolutely see that because you can't really mix that narrative up with um, anything that has been part of the stigmatizing of cannabis, you know, before. So it's like, I'm sorry, if we're talking about this for treating concussions or helping people recover from, you know, major chronic pain or epilepsy or autoimmune diseases. And I will say, I'll absolutely say I'm wrong. If we find out that any of the cannabinoids or terpenes or any parts of the plant can be a part of a cure or prevention for uh, COVID, that's going to change things um, tremendously. And then I might be normalizing cannabis in my lifetime. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about new states coming online. I think the East Coast is gonna grow, but We've been saying that for at least two years and we haven't really seen that happen. So um, that gets, you know, it's just always right there. It's always so close. So I'm just going to keep pretending that it's always right there and that any day here comes New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, and then Delaware is going to catch up and then Maryland's going to go adult use. <laughs> yeah. Delaware. Ooh, real thing. Buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, you know, another thing too, I see, <laughs> yeah, you know, one other thing that I think we've already kind of seen at firsthand is, I, and I think we'll stick around and, and be a, a new market, so to speak, is really the the development of either, you know, pickup, delivery, just, you know, just drive through, the, the, the way of getting product into the hands of consumers so that they feel comfortable and safe and, and done in an efficient manner where it's, it's you know, a great experience for them. But like, you know, what these curbside pickups was thought to be just a temporary thing during COVID. And, and the more I'm reading, the more it's, it's going to stick. 
So I think, you know, as people look at, at altering their business model, that's going to be one area, I think, of the cannabis business that absolutely sticks around to. It has to. You know, there, I think it's uh, the CWCB Expo's um, little hashtag or philosophy is cannabis means business. You know, you see it at all their trade shows or everything. It, it does. And it, it, cannabis means jobs. Um, jobs, jobs, jobs from the services that you were just talking about, Mike, that are unbelievably important. I read a piece the other day um, talking about a bud tender who's the bud tending career is her second life. She's 65. She's a retired school librarian, a retired school librarian that loved reading books, making recommendations for things that she thought students would enjoy. Now she's learning, studying, making recommendations for, for people's health and wellness. I thought that that story just made my heart smile. I, th- I was like, this is such a cool little transformation because not only that's somebody who may have had to be won over in, you know, somebody in their 60s yeah. might be in that demographic where cannabis is bad. It showed some growth and progress that made me just smile. I thought that was cool. Well, well let's face it. She's probably like a grandmother, you know, and so like, who's not going to want to like listen to their grandmother? She's giving you a recommendation on what bud to buy. You know, that's like strong, strong bud tender. That's killer. It really is quite novel. <laughs> and, and, and the, uh, and what you were both talking about, we, we have seen progress and we not, we're now seeing, we talked about, uh, the politics of cannabis just briefly, but now we know Arizona got the number of signatures they needed. You know, it's going to be a ballot initiative in the state of Arizona. In uh, where my friend Fifth Year is from, the Garden State is going to have it on the ballot uh, in November. And I think that when that happens, then that's when you're going to see that New York market that everyone's kind of salivating over uh, mm-hmm. right now. You're going to see the first steps uh, to New York opening up because they, they simply won't have any choice, I, I think, at that point. Imagine, Imagine how much eighths will be up there. <laughs> eighths in New York City and uh, man working. In a hotel in New York, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, and just the concept of a, cookie, a cookies drop day in Manhattan. I don't want to think about it. Oh my god! <laughs> I don't want to think about it, uh, guys. We're we're at the point of the show where we kind of just wrap things up uh, and talk a little, just talk a little miscellaneous stuff. It, it's been a pleasure right. to be with you. Here comes the fun, fun stuff, stuff. again. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to. I'm looking at some things that fit in uh, thematically, of course, with where we're going. Um, and uh, I wanted to start with this. Is it? more difficult to look back right now or look forward could be business could be personal francesca will start oh good um (laughs) (laughs) i think i think it's really difficult to look ahead with any accuracy right now because everything seems to be a jump ball so economy politics um you know we now know who's going to be on the democratic ticket uh, as of yesterday, which was, you know, really, I saw a lot of excitement. I saw some mixed emotions mm-hmm. um, and we'll be digesting that news for the next few months until the election, which is, of course, going to be a, a game changing election, I think, in a lot of ways. So and that means locally, please don't forget to vote local and the presidential election. So, um, yeah, I think it's near impossibly near impossible to look forward right now. How about you, Mike? Uh, (laughs) It's kind of funny because I was actually given the exact opposite answer. Um, I don't really, you know, like my whole philosophy is, you know, when you're driving your car, the rear view mirror is really tiny and the windshield is really big. And that's how I look at like life, you know, like I 
always want to look ahead and I really don't spend time looking back because there's nothing I can do about it and it's not really anything that's going to, you know, it it makes me it helps you get to where you are today, but I just spend my my effort looking forward. So, it Francesca's right in terms of it's hard to to really make concrete plans, but as long as you're agile and flexible and uh, you know, have the ability to change and, and adapt, then looking forward to me is that's where I love to look. And I like that you guys didn't agree. Imagine that. That was fun. <laughs> um, all right. Now, here's a bit more trippy one. Actually, I apologize. Welcome, Frank. Fifth year. I want you to tell me. Harder to look back, harder to look forward. Which one? Oh, welcome. Um, hello, everybody. Um, I think right now. I like how Frank I don't even but know. like everybody else just joined. <laughs> Hey, welcome to my show, everybody. <laughs> it's, he's right, damn it. <laughs> um, right now, I think it's easier to look forward. I'm kind of along with Mike. Um, I really don't remember what I did last week because right now everything blends together as far as the days. So um, how many edibles have you had today, Frank? Uh, just one, you know, okay. morning coffee with an edible. <laughs> Good man. Uh, I wish. Um, so, Neville Biscotti, he's got an edible. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. Uh, very much in line with that. This may or may not have been a high thought. Uh, Frank, I'm going to start with you. Um, nice. Let's just say outside in your driveway, I've got the DeLorean. I've got a time machine. You take that time machine, you can go back to 2018, live a year with no hint of COVID. You don't know anything about it. But if you do that, you would have to live all the way through this mess again. Would you choose to go back in time? Or would you choose to stay wow. right where you are right now and let's get to the end of this thing? You getting in the time machine or not is I my question. I, well, first of all, I'm a huge car guy. I love DeLorean. So yeah, <laughs> I would definitely want to go check it out. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think... You know, I think, well, that's a hard question, Nick. I think yes. well, I love 2018, first of all. That was my last year of playing uh, collegiate football. Uh, um, so run, to run yeah, that he's season definitely going back. back. Yeah, to run that season back, I think, would be awesome. And, um, you know, I've been very blessed to be with my family all of quarantine. And we've definitely, uh, you know, gotten a lot closer. And to live with them again and see them every morning has definitely been a blessing. So, um you know, obviously I wouldn't want the country and the world to go through something like this again, but um, I think going back to 2018 would be, would be nice. I like your answer. What Frank's not telling you is that his mom is right next to him right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but also in 2018, wasn't Frank was an intern then, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yes, he was finishing was. up that last season. <laughs> so I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's nonsense. Selling trade show booth space. I think that was his first gig, wasn't it? And, yes. and a certain yep. hydroponic grower. Oh, yeah, that's right. I still don't yeah. know how to convey that over the phone, so. <laughs> <laughs> you do. Francesca, are you getting in the DeLorean, or are you staying put? I'm staying put. Uh, let's see this. Through. I'm shocked. Let's get to the end. I, I don't. I don't, I like analyzing the past to apply it to the future or the present, but I don't really want to go back to the past. One, I have no sense of real time, so I don't remember 20 True story. what I was doing. 
So, <laughs> like, uh, I don't know what 2018 was. Screw that. Let's just keep going. I don't want to do this all over again. That's for sure. Finally, Michael Patterson. What are we doing? I'm absolutely staying put. Um, yeah, it's just it's my whole philosophy. I, I'm not going back. 2018 was a great year. It would be fun. Actually, I would like to watch Frank play his senior year again. And uh, with you know that would be pretty fun. And uh, and my kids were all living at home then. They were. I mean, there's 2018 was a great year, but you know, let it sit where it sits, and let's keep forging ahead and make the best of what we are now. All right. I I uh, I got to agree. I don't I don't want to go through this a second time. I, I don't. I hate the uncertainty. I hate that. I think this question is all about how much you're really climbing up the walls right now. Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I don't want to go through this uh, a second time. So I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the flux capacitor and the DeLorean where they are. Um, here's just a, just a couple quick little things. What was the best part of going back to school for you, Francesca? The best part about going back to school was back to school shopping. It was, I loved, I loved going to Staples and getting all the new notebooks and especially picking out the perfect planner because I could tell myself the same lie every year, which is if I get the planner just right, all the planning is easy and things just kind of naturally happen. It's about the planner. So I really thought I could like buy my way into a good school year. I loved, loved back to school shopping, the smell of stuff the newness of it, the picking out. It was like an outfit for me. I loved it. The rational consumer, even back then, even back then. Mike, did you have a, a favorite part of the, this particular back to school season? Yeah. 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 You know, it, it actually, when Francesca's answer sparked my answer in my head, there was, I remember two things distinctly that I used to get pumped to get, to get ready to go back to school. One was a new pair of sneakers. And I remember going to whatever shoe store it was and like, you know, trying on whatever sneaker is going to be thinking I would run faster, whatever. Now, this is like when I was little, not when I was like 17. I mean, but like, um, but that and then also I used to always be like a big sucker for like the latest trapper keeper or whatever, like new notebook was out to keep everything organized. And um, unlike Francesca, I used my planner and kept myself organized very well. And, uh, and the Trapper Keeper was the key integral part of that. No doubt. You touched <laughs> upon something that, man, I'm serious. It's like, it's like smelling Play-Doh. It takes you right back. Yes. The, when, you, when you said like getting new shoes, I don't forget, it was you know, a couple weeks before school. And I remember the place. I would go to, it was I think Buster Brown. And there was like a little <laughs> ship in there. Uh, but I always remember, I always remember this thing of like, this big deal was, can I wear the shoes out of the store? Oh, and, uh, yeah. and you'd put your old ones. It was basically like putting them in a coffin because your old ones would go in the box <laughs> and, uh, you know, you kind of set sail, put them, out on the, yeah, put them out on the river there. But that was something. Frank, best part of back to school? Was it, was it football? Oh, well, yeah, I guess fall sports is awesome to uh, be a part of and just watch other uh, teams from your high school or uh, college. But I just thought it was always funny how, like, the first – couple days of school everybody would wear like the freshest outfit Mike of course you're probably <laughs> wearing your nicest shoes um and then like every week after that or every month after that, it's just sweatpants sweatshirt or just t-shirt <laughs> shorts like just loungy stuff um but I was definitely one of those kids that wanted to wear like all the f nice clothing I just got over the summer 
you know, rock the tan and just, uh, you know, flaunt <laughs> a little bit. But yeah, the it was just sweatpants. Sure, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, then just sweatpants and sweatshirts for the rest of the year. I think that uh, there was something cool about fall sports too. I always love that moment sometime in October where you're, you're on the field and you feel like, ooh, you get that first chilly wind and you know that you're going to have to put on longer sleeves the next day at training. Or that's, that's the best feeling. I, I don't know how wherever. Mm-hmm. Oh, love that it. like yeah. finding out what the school's going to do for the fall show because that's fun. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. No. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, guys, I want you to uh, give me one more thing if you could today. Um, if you could finish this uh, statement uh, for me and we'll start uh, we'll go around the horn one more time. Francesca, Mike, uh, Frank. Um, let's do this. Uh, could you give me this? Th- th- you can complete this statement for me if you would. Next year at this time, I'll be proud of. Who's first? You are. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Next year at this time, I'll be proud that. I've written the first draft of my book. That's excellent. That's an excellent, wow. excellent thing. Damn. Frank's next. That's going to be tough. <laughs> okay. to top. That's tough to top fifth year. I can't even write a paragraph. together. Um, I think next year at this time, I'll definitely be proud of having three years of sales under my belt of experience because coming out of uh, college, I graduated as a marketing uh, with a marketing degree. And I was always scared of possibly getting into sales. Um, I didn't think I had the confidence to definitely get in it. And as soon as I was brought on to alias can, I just started doing cold calls. So it was like, I, I had to face my fear like the first week of working. And, um, and that was three. Trial by oh, fire. Yeah. And that was two years ago at this time. So, you know, I, it's something I didn't think I was going to be good at. Um, and I'm still learning new things every single day. And that's the exciting part about uh, being the position I am. So n- next year, I'll have three years under my belt. So that's exciting. Damn good. You were damn good at that for something that you were not, uh, you know, you were kind of loath to start. That's pretty cool, Frank. Uh, and uh, so, Mike? Next year at this time, I'm going to be really proud of the fact that I don't have to work as much because the everyone else on the team has really evolved and developed into managers and leaders in their own part. That's, that's where this is all going. This, this is why I do what I do is because I, I want to see Frank continue to evolve and develop and learn and grow because, you know, Frank's going to be the next leader. And, you know, we have other people that are going to continue to, you know, take more responsibility. And that's, I get a lot of pride out of that. And it's not that I don't want to work. I love working, but what I love even more is seeing, other people develop and and that's what makes the business grow very well said very well said i like that we can wrap up on a on a nice optimistic note during these times like this there's so much uncertainty but that's a really Francesca. what are you trying to say i'm not going first next time y'all are like what's the matter you don't like you can do you want to revise your answer do you want like why what are you mad about Nick, what was your answer for that, by the way? Yeah. Oh, ne- next year. Next year at this time, I want to be. Um, I want to be prepping for the uh, New York uh, CB uh, CW CB Expo. 
uh, I want to be there representing Alias Can with my team and uh, talking about how we learned and grew during the pandemic time. Right. We were able to uh, pivot and bring on new clients and find new ways to serve people and find new services to provide that we didn't know of that we could do before, uh, before this whole thing. Uh, so I want to be doing that. Uh, and um, yeah, and I, I want to be, uh, I owe a fifth year dinner at uh, Parm. I got to buy him a chicken Parm up there. Uh, that was a promise. Yeah, Come Nick, on. you got to stop I sending me a shotgun sandwich because like I'm drooling over here. <laughs> hey, you know, one other thing before we sign off, and I, uh, Nick shared with everyone before you got on, Francesca, that you gave him a haircut over the weekend, a COVID cut, so to speak. That's true? I tried. I did my best. Wow, that's impressive. So a year from now, are you going to you know, have more haircuts under your belt or is that a one and done? Um. If he lets me keep playing, then I'll definitely be into it. Oh, oh I, I, I would hope so. If my hair could cut itself, I'd be like, do it, self-cut. Um, I'm, I'm not one who kind of, kind of enjoys the, uh, <laughs> the experience, but yeah, COVID can cut. I think, can I add an answer? Yeah. <laughs> I'll be proud of our portfolio of clients next year. I think we're going to have some cornerstone clients between now and a year from now that are going to be like, their pipe dreams now, and by this time next year, they're going to be um, Keystone accounts for us. Absolutely, that's, that's my nonsense answer. It's a damn good one. <laughs> it's a damn good one. Um, well, this has been a, this has been great, guys. Uh, episode two, back to what is in the books. Um, listen, uh, if you're interested in the, in the work that we do or what we're up to, please visit us online. Uh, at Alias Can. Uh, please follow us on our social channels and our Instagram and our, our Facebook and our Twitter. Learn a little bit more about what we're doing, what we value, and what we can do for you if you're in the cannabis business. So um, I want to thank Frank for all his work behind the scenes for this one. Uh, once again, on behalf of Mike, on behalf of Francesca, I'm Nick uh, with Alias Can. We're signing off from Delahue, Delaware, Delaware. We'll see you next time. <laughs>